Hi, my name is Hua, and this is The Spoken World. As a Nigerian spoken word artist, poetry has been the best medium to express myself. Some people ask me questions about my circumstances and the inspiration for the pieces I compose. So I started a podcast where every week we have a new piece from a writer across the globe and we have fun sharing our experiences. Hi and welcome to the 20th episode of the Spoken World Podcast. I'm so excited we've been on for like five months yeah today our guest is Sofka Sinoviev she was born in London and educated at Cambridge she worked as a freelance journalist and lived in Moscow and Rome before settling in Athens with her Greek husband and their two daughters in 2001 she is the author of three works of non-fiction one of which is Lord Berners my grandmother and me a New York Times Editor's Choice 2015. She has written two other novels, The House on Paradise Street, and the one we'll be talking about today, Putney. A brief overview. It's the 1970s and a rising star in London, a composer, Ralph, is approached by renowned novelist Edmund Greensley to score a stage adaptation of his most famous work. Through Edmund's house, Ralph sees Daphne, Edmund's nine-year-old daughter. Ralph showers Daphne with attention, gifts, and secret notes. Though Ralph is 25 and Daphne is a child. When Ralph accompanies Daphne alone to meet her parents in Greece, their relationship intensifies. Decades later, Daphne is back in London. Recollections of her youth lead to a hurtful realization that makes her confront Ralph and their years spent together. Putney is a novel about consent, love, abuse, and the grey areas. I had the pleasure of speaking to Sofka, and here's how the conversation went. Hi. Hello. Hi, Sofka. Hello. Ah. Great to have you on the Spoken World podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my great pleasure to be here. Hi. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, it, where should I start? I'm. Um, I was born in Britain. Um, I've got a name which doesn't sound at all English, and that's because I've got Russian ancestry, grandparents on my father's side, and I live mostly in Greece. So I'm quite international. And what can I say? I've um, I've written five books. I've been a journalist. I've lived in several different countries. And I've got two daughters who are in their 20s and a husband who's Greek. Is that enough information? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's quite interesting. Um, how long have you been writing? I didn't get that. How long have you been writing? Well, I think it depends how you judge that so I'd say that I wrote quite a lot as a child 
I always kept a diary and I liked writing little stories and that kind of thing. So I definitely had it in me, but there were all sorts of other things I liked doing too. I wasn't one of those children who said, I'm definitely going to be a writer. So I loved playing music and I loved painting and drawing and that sort of thing. So on the artistic side, I'd say. Um, then when I was um, a student, I did a PhD in social anthropology. So I did a lot of writing then, but it was academic writing. And after that, I worked quite a bit as a journalist, a freelance journalist. And it wasn't until I was kind of in my late 30s that I started actually writing books. So... Yeah, and and since then I've been I've written five books. Why did you um, study social anthropology? I think I was really interested in learning about how other people live and um, to try and get outside the little bubble that we often find ourselves in. So it was. I have to admit it was probably partly because I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life and it sounded like a really good kind of general education. Now looking back on it, I see it really differently. I'm just so glad that that's what I studied. I think it gave me an incredibly good grounding for all sorts of things later. Would you say that it had an influence in your writing? Yes, I would. I think that one of the basic things about being a a social anthropologist is that you're really interested in other people and other ways of thinking about things and doing things. So that's a really, really good kind of um, foundation for being a writer. You know, you want to get inside other people's minds and you want to have that curiosity. Why are they doing it like that? Um, So I think that's been really really useful for me well um with what i get from this conversation you studied different things before finally settling down for writing so how was it when you tried publishing your first book well it was it was interesting i mean i was told by a friend who was a writer that you must get an agent you know don't just send off a finished book to a publisher because they'll throw it on their slush pile and you'll be very lucky if anybody ever reads it. So I was really lucky that with a proposal for my first book, that was a book about living in Athens and trying to get under the skin of what it means to be a Greek, um, I got a really good agent and she kind of went around with it and I didn't immediately get accepted. So I had a bit of a taste of what it can be like to be rejected. Um, But within, I guess, a few months, um, I'd found, she'd found a publisher for me. So that was really exciting. I mean, I think publishing your first book is a bit like having your first child. Um, It it feels like a, a very new, interesting, very heightened experience. Is there any advice you would like to give your younger self? I think if it's about writing, the advice that I'd give my younger self would be do it. So keep on writing because that's the way to get better. You know, experience, just keep on and on. Don't think that you're going to have this wonderful magic moment of inspiration. You're going to write the best book that ever was. It comes through doing it. And I think also um, 
believe that you can do it, that you can get better, because it's very easy to get downhearted. Um, so if, if somebody had been able to give me a bit more confidence when I was younger and say, just plug away, just do it, that would have been the best advice. Hmm. About your book, though, um, you grew up in Putney. Would you say that that yes. had any significance when you were naming your book? Yes, it did. I mean, I wanted to write this book that was not going to be an autobiographical story, but it was going to have elements out of the time period and the sort of atmosphere where I grew up in the area of London that's called Putney. So I wanted to give it a sort of authenticity. Um, I wanted it very much to have, um, to reflect what it was like living in Putney in the 1970s. So from that point of view, it absolutely uh, gives quite a lot of insight into the kind of the kind of life I had. Um, so yes, but the actual characters and the story are not based on specific people I knew or um, events that happened to me. What inspired you to write Putney? Well, I think one thing was looking back on what it was like in that kind of bohemian era in the 1970s in London when attitudes were very different towards underage girls and maybe boys um, than they are now. So it was very easy for an older man then to get away with behaving in, in ways that we now see as being very inappropriate and if not criminal and in Britain in recent years really over the last sort of five to ten years people have become very very aware of child sexual abuse and there are a lot of arrests happening including of celebrities and very famous people and so there's a very different kind of awareness and to me it seemed like a kind of culture clash between the way we see things now and, and the way we saw things then and that's why I think in many cases people who are in their 30s 40s and 50s are now coming forward with stories about things that happened to them that they didn't feel they could talk about or that the environment was not receptive to to hearing about the the plot actually reminds me of um of something that i listened to now it's um it's basically about um a little or an underage girl daphne falling in love with uh, a much older man and then yes. later finding out that he had actually taken advantage of her when she thought that they yes. had fallen in love, but that was much later. Now, this story actually reminds me of uh, a podcast episode from Dear Sugars. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Now, they, they read an email written by a grown woman explaining how she had, you know, given up her virginity to a much older man who actually happened to be uh, her sister's husband at that time. She confirmed that, you know, there was, she never said no or pushed him away. But at the same time, she didn't exactly say, you know, yes, either. Years later, she's convinced that he had taken advantage of her, but she, she didn't want to call it rape. Now, in, in, you know, usually things are, or the way we see things is either black or white. It can't be in the middle. He either, it's either rape or it's no rape. So she, she called it stuck in the gray. Would you say there's someone to blame in this type of situation? 
I think it's really complicated. I, mm. I know the podcast you're talking about, not the specific one, but it's with um, Cheryl Strayed, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it is. Um, Dear Sugars. Who, she's an author I very much admire. And, um, yeah, I've, I've heard some of the podcasts. My, one of my daughters is a great fan. So I found out about it through her. And I would really agree with that kind of analysis that um, that the grey areas are the hardest ones to deal with because it's to do with how our opinions about these things change. So if you talk to um, the police or a social worker who deals with child abuse in Britain today, they will tell you that a 13-year-old girl cannot give consent to have sex with an older man it's it's an impossible she's not capable of giving consent and therefore it's classified as rape but in Putney I really wanted to explore the sort of relationship where the girl believes that she's in love and she's not only not saying no she's actually saying yes um but I think that there one needs to start talking about the whole issue of grooming, which is uh, an expression that we never used in, in the old days, in the 70s or 80s. But now we have this idea that an older man can make himself beloved to a younger person by being very kind and giving her presents and taking her out on little trips and generally making her love him but if that is with um the intention of having a sexual relationship then that's grooming and um it shouldn't be done so i think it is a gray area but these days we don't treat it like that we treat it in the law in a black and white way mm. how did you develop the characters daphne ralph and jane well they happened kind of gradually um, so I think I've known a few men in my life who had elements of Ralph. You know, he's a very charismatic man. He's a successful composer and conductor, and he has lots of different love affairs, and, and people find him very attractive, and I'd say he's probably pretty narcissistic as well. So I kind of drew on all sorts of things. I think that when you're writing a novel, creating a character is a bit like being a magpie. You know, you pick up little bits from all over the place, from people you've known, from things you imagine, from books you've read, films you've seen, and so you create them. And um, the same was true, really, with Daphne, who I expect has elements of me in her, but I didn't feel that... Um, I was basing her at all on me and certainly the life that she has and the very problematic times that she has after she's grown up with a lot of drug abuse and disastrous relationships and the sort of things that can happen as, as, as fallout from child sexual abuse or underage sex, inappropriate relationships. She certainly kind of has the whole lot of them. So up to a point, they were expressing points of view for me. But as the writing went along, I found that they they became people much more in their own right. So I would be able to say, so what would Daphne do when this happened? And how long did it take you to write Putney? Well, I think it's it's funny with books because you can spend quite a long time before you're actually writing 
just thinking about the subject and it's sort of dripping down into your consciousness. But I think the actual writing of it, including research and note-taking and everything else, was probably a good two years. And then after I got a publisher, there was a period of time where there was still some editing on it. So, yeah, two and a half years, I guess. That's actually quite ambitious, (laughs) really, two years. Great work, ma'am. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I wasn't doing anything else in my life. You know, I wasn't kind of writing at my desk for eight hours every day or anything. But that was the kind of amount of time that I was busy with it. Mm. I recently had a discussion with an author who uh, categorizes writers in two places. You know, the writers who develop a plot and control their story. And um, the writers that have an idea where their story is going, but, you know, chooses what happens on a whim based on how the characters are developing on their own um which Mm. writer would you say you are i'd say that i'm a mix of both so Mm. i think when i start off writing the novel i make plans up to a point and i develop the characters and i write out their backstories and make notes on them and that sort of thing so at that point i'm creating them and planning them but as the book goes along it sometimes changes direction in ways that I hadn't thought of. And also, the characters become much more real in my mind. And so, um, they, they take on much more of a, of a life of their own. So, I think I'm a kind of hybrid of, of the two types. Did you ever have like some sort of um, uh, formal class in creative writing? Specifically for the no, I never did, and that sometimes makes me feel a bit of a fraud because I feel I'm kind of doing it from instinct rather than having been trained in a way to absolutely know what you should and shouldn't do. Um, some people think that um, you know you either can do it or you can't with writing, and I think well, I think you're doing a fantastic job <laughs> as a student of social anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, um, what advice would you give to any young writer out there trying to find your way? Well, I think, again, I would say keep on practicing your art. I think whatever you do in life, you need to do it often and practice it and get better and seek other people's opinions and keep on and on doing it and also of course reading a lot because I think you can't be a writer without reading so you know it's it's really important to kind of um, have experience in that area but basically keep on trying all right well thank you so much have a great conversation with you well, that was really great. Lovely to talk to you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening till the end. If you want to hear more of this, download the Radio Public app and listen in every Thursday for new episodes. Please leave reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It would mean so much. The theme song is brought to you by Memma Music.